0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. But let's go to God in prayer. Okay, dear Father, we want to thank you for your really profound word today, Matthew 19, and we just pray that we may understand it well through your Holy Spirit guiding us and helping us to understand it. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as a pastor, I sometimes have people wanting to meet up with me, and uh, you know they meet up with me for all sorts of reasons, sometimes they have some difficult issues they want to talk about, or maybe they just want to encourage me, or sometimes they just want to chill out and just chat, but I remember I was quite surprised because uh, a few times people wanted to meet up with me because they want to ask me about migrating to Australia, and they must have uh, remember that I, was, I lived in Australia for quite a long time, so they wanted to know, you know, what is it really like to live in Australia, not as a tourist, but as someone who has lived there for quite a while. You know, what are the norms and the expectations and the customs? Now, obviously when I speak to them, I don't tell them, oh, you know, if you want to migrate to Australia, you need to improve your Hokkien, right? Right? You talk about like rugby, cricket, uh, barbecues, and mateship, things like that. So I think that that's a A very good perspective as we come to today's passage because today's passage is all about the norms and the values and expectations of living in the kingdom of heaven so a few weeks ago when we were studying chapter 16 during the Q&A question time someone asked a really good question I can't remember who was preaching then someone asked the question why did Jesus tell his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ I don't even remember who asked the question. Someone here, someone asked that question. Why didn't why did Jesus tell the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ? And whoever was preaching that week said a really fantastic answer. It said it's because the disciples had failed at that moment to understand Jesus' understanding of who the Christ is, what the Christ is supposed to do, what the Christ was like. In the same way, today as we come to chapter 19, we see that the disciples really fail to understand what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to live in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, I mean, we've all come come in through Jesus Christ, but what does it mean to live? What are the norms and expectations of living in the kingdom of heaven? And it begins in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples come to Jesus with a question, and at the heart of the question is about greatness. It is a question driven by ambition, a desire for advancement, and motivated with an obsession with power. So I remember going to uh, the ETCA uh, Theological College Talks, and uh, one of the illustrations in the sermon was about how, you all know what the white and yellow pages are? Or well, now that we live in the age of Google, you all don't know what white and yellow pages are. Anyway, there used to be this prehistoric things called yellow pages, where you can actually go down and look at the names of companies, right, and things like that. So he looked up all the names of the companies, which start with power, power, right? And he said there were lots of companies named power. There's power, you know, uh, deliveries, power tools, power locksmith. So I remember reading in the newspaper how last year's Premier League champions uh, Leicester City were owned by this Thai millionaire who owns these uh, shops in Thailand called King Power right? and I was thinking well you can't really get more powerful than that right? it's not just power it's King Power right? so the stadium where Leicester play in is called the King Power Stadium and then you think about the word great you think of Great Wall City or you think of Donald Trump's campaign slogan make America great again So these are very normal expectations and norms of this world. Greatness, power. But Jesus does a very unexpected thing because he reverses the norms and expectations of this world. and says, if you want to live in the kingdom of heaven, then it's not about power and greatness and advancement. But instead, he takes a little child to him. And he says, you must listen very clearly because he says, truly I tell you, or literally it says, amen, right? The word that truly is, amen, I tell you. Unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a very serious thing because Jesus says, amen. And he says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you live like a little child, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you live as a little child now what does it mean to live as a little child, so think of Ruel, so unfortunately Ruel is not here today so I lost my sermon illustration oh you got another another, another illustration but she's hiding behind the chest. so what is it, how are we to be like a toddler, how are we to be like a little child, are we to be grumpy, sleepy running around right? without, you know without discipline, (laughs) how do we live as little children? Well, in verse 4, it says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, or in the other translations, to become humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here we see the first norm in the kingdom of heaven is to be lowly to be humble to be weak like a little child because in the world that we live in a child a toddler ha- has the lowest status in society in the ancient world in the roman society it was not like our present society which you know elevates and values children and sometimes too much right in those days uh, children little children literally had no power and no status whatsoever you know i remember um in the olden days right uh, children were to be seen and not heard you No, know? my mom used to tell me that repeatedly right you know and if you go back even further than my mom's generation little children literally had no status at all they were not given any position in the family or in society and that's what jesus is saying the society that we live in values greatness, but the thing is you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven by being great. You enter by recognizing how lowly and humble you are and allowing Jesus to save you and bring you into the kingdom of heaven. That's why in the beginning, right? we read that to, be, to get into the kingdom of heaven, we need to be born again because we cannot get in on our own. It is only through Jesus Christ that brings us into the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which we learned many, many weeks ago the Sermon on the Mount, it said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's only where you recognize your poverty before God, that you have nothing before God that you can offer towards God. That then you are saved, because then you allow Jesus to save you. So it's not about being great. It's about being lowly and humble. Now, If the first value is humility and lowliness, the second value is about welcoming. Verse 5 says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, then it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed and crippled, than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye, into our two eyes, and to be thrown into the fire of hell. So here, the little ones are those who are humble and lowly and accept Jesus. And what Jesus then says now is, we, as Christians, need to welcome all the little ones. That means that all fellow Christians, we need to be welcoming them into our midst, our community, into our relationships. Part of the problem about the idea of seeking greatness is that if I think I'm great and you are not great, then usually in this world, I don't want to associate with you. That's true, isn't it? I mean, if you're a great person, and I'm not a very great person, the way the world usually is, is that I don't associate with you. You know, that's just the way it is. The strata of society, the way it's broken up, is based on how great you are and you mix with the same level of greatness. But Jesus says that if we do that and we reject the little ones, the humble ones who are His children, we actually stumble them. Now this word stumble actually comes from the Greek word to scandalize them. And it's always translated it will mean that they fall into sin, they fall away, that they are stumbled in a spiritual way. And Jesus says that when you scandalize them, right, you scandalize them, you will face terrible judgment. You will go to eternal fire. That is how serious it is. If you think you are great and you don't want to welcome other Christians who you think are not as good as you. In fact, Jesus uses this very extreme example and says, it is better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest ocean than it is for you to stumble a little one in Christ because you have not welcomed them. Now, this millstone, if you look here in the next passage, right, uh, not passage, look at the picture, I think uh, slide Therese? is, uh, you know how they make bread? Uh, well, before you make bread, you need to grind it down to the, the, the grain to fine flour. So usually you have a big heavy rock wall. This is the old-fashioned way you use things for hand, right? And you grind it, goes round and round and round, and then it comes out into this little fine powder. Okay, so if you look at the next picture, so it can be very big and heavy, right? Because obviously to grind the, grain you need something heavy i mean no point having something light or nothing's going to happen right you need something very heavy imagine having that tied around your neck and then having that thrown into the ocean and you following after it i think that's like some of the things you see in like hong kong movies some triad or mafia thing right but jesus says if you stumble a little one in jesus christ because you think you're great and you don't welcome them better for that to happen to you because your fate is actually eternal fire and hell. In fact, it says there that if your right hand causes you to sin or your right eye causes you to sin or your right foot causes you sin, better to cut off than to go to hell. Now, we've already seen this sort of imagery that Jesus has given before, but here he's not talking about Lust, right? You know, last time we saw this parable, the way that Jesus talks was in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know, if you look at someone lustfully, pluck out your eye. You know, if you do something wrong, cut out your hand. But Jesus is actually saying here, in a very specific context, if it's your hand or your eye, your foot that is unwelcoming to the little one in Christ, better you cut it off because you will go to hell because of it. Now, the way that we see other Christians, is not to see them in terms of their social standing or their intelligence or how attractive they are or whatever. Because here, if you look very carefully, it actually says something very profound in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven will always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, how do we understand this? Does that mean for every for every one of us, there's a little angel walking around in heaven right now? Alright, so there's a little, there's a little uh, Lina angel walking around as Lina is here, or a little Poon angel walking around in heaven as he's walking around here? Now I don't think so. Uh, in another pe- uh, passage, if you look here on the slide, right, it actually says that uh, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So I think what it's saying is that the person you see here today, who is a little one in Jesus, even though they look very insignificant, they will be the ones in heaven for eternity before the Father. So how can you look at another Christian with worldly eyes and not welcome them? How can you look at another Christian and not welcome them? Because this is a heavenly being who is in heaven for eternity before the Father, how can you not value them and welcome them? And it goes on to say, by way of a parable, of how God the Father is like a man who owns a hundred sheep, then he wanders, there's one that wanders off, right? And because it wanders off, He leaves the 99 and he goes and looks for that one sheep and then when he finds it, he rejoices over them, that one sheep that he lost. Now, the first reason why we must value these little ones is because they will always be before God the Father in heaven. The second reason is because God the Father rejoices over every little one who is saved. So God the Father rejoices over every little Christian who is saved, how can you be the one who is actually chasing away the sheep? How is it that you you are the one who is actually the one who is stumbling that little Christian by your behavior when God is the one who is trying so hard to rescue them? You are the one who is actually causing that sheep to be lost. And that's why it's so serious here Why we must never, ever stumble another Christian because we don't welcome them. Now, I remember when I prepared for this sermon before, I heard a few sermons on this passage, and it's very sad because, you know, when you go to church, people always preach against lust, money, if they do that, right? Or they preach against, I don't know, all sorts of things. But it's very rare that that you actually hear a sermon where you hear it preached, that Jesus says, if you don't welcome another Christian, then you're destined to the eternal fires of hell. But read the words of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he says. He says, if you do not welcome another Christian, if you think you're greater than them, and you stumble them by not welcoming them, you are actually chasing away the ones that God the Father is trying to rescue and you will be destined to eternal hell. So I remember this cartoon that I, I found this uh, um, uh, church book that I have, right? So it's called The Friendly Church. And uh, as you can see from the from the cartoon, yeah, they're all very friendly. The people who know each other, they're very friendly. But this this guy who's a visitor looking in uh, from the outside Right, So is it really the really friendly church? It's not really the really friendly church. They're only friendly to the people who are their contemporaries and their peers and their own relationship. And I think a contemporary application of this passage is this. That so often you go to churches and they are made up of people of the same social strata. Right? Maybe they're all university graduates, or they're all white-collar workers, or they're all rich, or they're all this or that. And the people who are the little ones in Christ who put their faith in Jesus come, but they're not welcome. And they're stumbled. And as a result, God is grieved. And these people potentially could face judgment because they do not welcome these little ones in Christ. And it's very sad. So the question for us is, do you truly welcome Christians, or do you seek to be great? Do you see yourself as greater than other Christians? And the process actually not welcome them and stumble them. Now verse 15, the great thing about chapter 18 is it's a very logical, very logical way in terms of which Jesus speaks. So the first question was how to be great, right? then he deals with that. Then logically it leads to the next question. Don't be great. Welcome those who are little ones. Now, verse 15 deals with the next question. What happens when someone sins against you? What happens if probably someone is not welcoming to you? Someone uh, possibly thinks they're very great and is not of humble disposition. Well, it says there in verse 15, but obviously it can deal with a general principle. If your brother or sister sins, go out, sorry, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have warned them over, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan. Or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven; whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any every, anything you, they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, it is very clear here that Jesus. Is talking about church discipline. Now, church discipline is kind of like a. Uh, people sort of equate church discipline with the Inquisition or torture, right? Uh, kind of like, oh, this is slavery, maybe these are things that people used to do in the long lost past. But here it says Jesus actually says that if there is someone who is unrepentantly sinning, then you should seek to talk to them and if they don't want to listen, you should get other people to talk to them and if they still don't listen, then uh, they should be treated as a pagan or tax collector. Uh, that means that they are not seen as part of the community. Now, Jesus then says this very interesting thing. He says, you know, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Now, if you actually remember a few weeks ago this is what Jesus said to Peter. So uh up here, Therese. So Jesus actually said to Peter that uh whatever he decided would be bound on earth, and whatever he loses on earth will be bound, uh in in, in uh, on earth could be bound in, in heaven, right? Now this doesn't mean that each of us here have unconditional power where I say, you go to hell, okay, then they go to hell, okay, then you know it's like that sort of thing, right? but it's within the context of obeying what Jesus says. So, I remember someone uh, once said that the church on earth should mirror the reality of heaven. And I think that's very important. What the church community constitutes should really reflect the heavenly community. So if someone is actually unrepentantly sinning, you should go and speak to that person. Because if that person is really going to keep sinning, but we keep welcoming them into the church community and saying that, yes, you are still part of the community, then that person may have the wrong idea that they're still going to go to heaven. But actually if someone is unrepentantly sinning, and we tell that person, no, 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 you have to stop that, and they say, no, no, we're not going to change then we say, well, actually, you're not part of the church community, then maybe they'll realize that they are not going to heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, whatever you decide here on this earth, in a sense, is going to be fulfilled in heaven. And this is exactly the application of what Jesus says. If someone as what Jesus warns is a proud person who does not welcome other Christians Jesus says truly amen that person is going to face the fires of eternal hell if we then tell that person yes you are part of our community you are still part of our church there is nothing absolutely wrong with your attitude and what you are doing then actually that is not loving to that person because at the last day they will not find themselves in heaven It is better that they are outside the community of the church on earth to recognize their sin so that they can come back in. So as we look at this passage, it is a very great warning uh, towards us of the seriousness of the way that we take church and our community. See, the church is not like a country club. You know, a country club is as long as I have money and I pay, I can go in, right? Doesn't matter whether I'm an obnoxious idiot or whether I'm the most perfect gentleman at all, because that's not the way that they measure the 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 the, the entrance requirements. As long as I have money to pay, I have a right to go in. But the Bible says no. That's not the way the church works. The church must respect and regard what God says as those who belong in the community of heaven and represent those people because that's what it's going to be like at the last day. So I remember there was a church I visited in Australia and uh, they followed church growth principle, right? So there are some principles in church growth and one of the principles of church growth is as soon as you get a newcomer to come in, one way to keep them in church is get them something to do. Right? Get them something to do. I, I mean, I can show you in my... My book as well, you know, you get them something to do. So you come in, after a couple of weeks, we say, hey, what are you good at? Are you good at ushering, playing music, uh, you know, whatever. Because once I give you a job, then in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of forcing you to come every week, right? Because I know I have to be here to read the Bible. I know I have to come here next week to usher. I know I've got to play music. You know, who's, who's going to play music if I'm not here? So I went to this church in Melbourne and I was very surprised because apparently one of the musicians was um, a drug addict and actively still taking drugs. And I, I remember saying, I said, well, do you think that it's right then that this person is up there on stage playing music for everybody else and basically saying in a way that it's acceptable to be taking drugs and breaking the law while serving in church as a member of the church? But the person said, well, that's the way that we keep them in church. But that goes against what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Jesus is saying, if that person is doing something wrong, then they are actually not part of the church. It is not good enough to want to draw people into church just by saying, everybody come in, everybody come in, and we're going to lock you inside the church. And that's good enough for you to be saved. Because that's not what the Bible is saying at all. The last section, verse 21 to 35, again I say, you know, the great thing about chapter 18 is how logical it is. So Peter then comes up to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And then Jesus answered, I tell you, not even seven times, but 77 times. So it's very logical, because if, thank God, I go and approach someone, and say, brother or sister, you are proud, and you're not welcoming people, you're sinful, and we convict that person of sin, and they say, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, um, you're right, you're right, you're right. I, I was very proud, I was very rude, and uh, I repent. Then the logical question that Peter asks is that, well, how many times do we forgive this particular person? Let's say a few weeks later, again, they are very proud and very rude to people, and they mm-hmm. offend them. And then you go up to them and they say, hey, hey, you did it again. And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. So sorry, so sorry. How many times uh, should we forgive this person? Now this is um, not just as a church, but personally, right? Because if you look very carefully at the passage, it says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? So this is a very personal thing. It's like somebody does something wrong to me. How many times should I forgive that person? So, actually Peter's answer seven times from a worldly perspective sounds like a lot, right? I remember my dad used to tell me this thing, I can't even remember, it's kind of like, you like fool me once, shame on you, then fool me twice, shame on me, right? I can't remember, then fool me something else, I don't know, but the lesson that my dad seemed to impart on me was, you only forgive once, and that's it. So, Peter sounds like a very generous person, right? Seven times. That sounds like, I mean, like, it would be quite tiring, right? You forgive someone seven times. It only happens if they are like family members or children, right? But Jesus then says, 77 times. I, I think Jesus doesn't really mean uh, 77. I think he's like saying it's unlimited, right? Because, you know, I don't think you have like, you know, you put these chalk marks on your wall, right? Then you put the person's name. Uh, Let's make up somebody's name Terrence. Every time they sin, you put a mark there. Okay, finally, 77! Oh, right, That's it, man. Finally, I don't have to forgive this guy anymore. That's it, that's it. I've reached 77. That's, I can, I can, I, I can, you know, my 70s, my forgiveness limit quota is over for this person already. I think Jesus is saying more than 77. And he gives this amazing illustration and as we read the illustration or the parable it is kind of very unbelievable because he speaks of a king and there's a servant who owes the king 10,000 bags of gold or literally 10,000 talents. Okay. Uh, if you, my, my, my Bible has a footnote It says a talent is worth about 20 years Of a day laborer's wages So imagine If a talent is 20 years of labor Then what's 10,000 talents? Uh, apparently, King David Donated 5,000 talents To the construction of the temple So you know King David He's a rich man, right? So 10,000 talents is like millions of dollars. So the servant, I don't know how he owes the king so much money, falls to his knees and promises to pay back everything, which is really impossible because he's not able to pay back that amount. It's just that amount of money is just impossible to repay back. And the situation is really desperate and hopeless because he will go into uh, slavery. In the olden days, if someone owes you money, you don't become bankrupt, right? You go into slavery until you can pay it back, but Jewish people, there's a limit to how long you could be a slave. But the shocking thing happens because the king is merciful and forgiven and forgives the debt. The man then goes outside and he bumps into his servant, Buddy, who owes him like 10 bucks, right? And then his friend says, Oh, I can't pay. And actually, I want you to pay attention. Pay a, look at the passage, right? Pay very close attention because the words that his buddy uses is exactly the same words that the first servant used with his master. So look at what it says in verse 29 and you compare it with verse 26. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. And that's exactly the same words and the same actions that the first servant used with the king. But this servant was completely different from the king. Instead of forgiving and treating this fellow servant, his body with patience and grace and mercy, what do you see? He chokes him, right? He chokes him and he sends him to prison to get back his debt. But look at what the king or the, the master says. In verse 32 it says, Then the master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. My. This is actually a very deep and complex picture. Because we already saw that 10,000 talents is impossible to pay back, right? If one talent takes 20 years to pay back, how many years does the 20,000 talents of gold take? So this man literally will be tortured for the rest of his life or for a really long time. And the lesson for us is the application of how many times you need to forgive someone. Because if you cannot forgive, then it shows that you are like the wicked servant. You do not appreciate how much God the Father has forgiven you. That's exactly what it's like it's like someone forgiving you a $50 million debt and then somebody comes up to you and says I can't pay back $500 and then you can't forgive that person. That's exactly what's happening here. So the lesson for us here is the importance of forgiveness. Now, this is a very easy topic to talk about hypothetically. Hypothetically. But it's a very difficult topic to talk about in reality. There are people who are not part of the church today and have left BDPC because they cannot forgive other people. Because they have not really taken Matthew chapter 19 to heart. It says very clearly, look at what it says in verse 35 again. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Now that is, those are heavy words, right? Those are hard words to obey. But, possible if you understand the forgiveness you have received. By not being able to forgive, you are actually not Really appreciating what God the Father has forgiven you. You have underestimated just how sinful you are before God. And by underestimating it, you actually are wicked before God. So we began by asking the question, right? What are the norms and the values and expectations of the kingdom of heaven? Are you a humble, lowly person or are you seeking greatness before God and because of your greatness or your estimation of your power your king power are you stumbling other people or not welcoming them and if someone sins against you are you willing to forgive them now I'm sure during the Question and answer time We will have lots of questions About the forgiveness part And whether people need to say sorry Do they need to genuinely repent How do you know they're really repenting All Right uh, We will deal with that In the question and answer time But But before we even get to that The question is Will you be able to forgive And sometimes Unfortunately I've experienced the case where People are not even willing to forgive Once Once Not even seven times, not even 77 times, but once. By failing to even forgive once, what does that show about the person's appreciation of the forgiveness they have received? Well, are you following the norms of the kingdom of heaven and the expectations of God the Father? Because even if you don't migrate to Australia, Singapore is not that bad a place, right? But failure to be in the kingdom of heaven means that you're outside in hell. So, you know, if you have Jesus and you understand what the Bible is saying and if you have been sitting through the whole book of Matthew, you don't want to be in eternal fire of hell. You want to be in the kingdom of heaven and these are the norms that are expected for those in the kingdom of heaven. So I hope that all of us really take these norms seriously because Jesus keeps saying over and over again, Amen, truly I say to you, right? unless you have these norms, you will not be in the kingdom of heaven. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at visitpc.sg